Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everyone? Yep, it's me, Nick. Uh, you know, when I do the intro, that means Amanda's not with us. So it is officially your second favorite host of the show, back again, doing the work for this episode. Not the episode we wanted. Obviously, we would much rather this episode be a celebratory one, um, whether it's winning the World Series or at least winning a game at home, but it is not. But regardless, we're here. I'm joined, as always, by Ryan. You can follow us at DC Natchak. You can follow Amanda at a white 7877 and you can follow the show at Half Street High Heat. But without further ado, Ryan, how you doing, bud? No, I've been better, but uh, I've also been worse. So just living uh, the 3-2 life. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, before we get into the negatives, because obviously after getting swept at home in the World Series and not putting up much, much of a fight, there are plenty of negatives. Ryan, you went to a World Series game, obviously your first ever World Series game. For those of you listening, myself included, because I didn't go to a game either, um, describe that experience of just the World Series game regardless of the outcome. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Because I was just thinking, I was like, you know, I went to an NLCS game. Like, how different is going to be? Getting to the stadium was freaking impossible. Like, every road near the stadium was closed. Um, There's so many, like, we had to tell, like, three different cops where we were parking, just get to our freaking parking lot. Um, and there was, like, endless Homeland Security trucks, which was pretty cool. I was like, hey, police. Um, but we got there at, like, six, and everything outside was mobbed. And then... You couldn't really walk around anywhere because there was already so many people there. But it was really cool because they had a bunch of, like, MasterCard people there. Then seeing the Fox Sports booth with uh, A-Rod, Frank Thomas, and Big Poppy. And I don't know if anyone's seen 
uh, Frank Thomas in person, but he's the largest human I've unit. ever seen in my life. Straight he's up the, unit. <laughs> he's the definition of a unit. My man's makes Big Poppy look like a little poppy. Like, it is unreal <laughs> how big he is. And, like, even though the Nats lost and they just played absolutely terrible, I legit kept saying that. I was like, I'm at a World Series game right now. Like, it was, I personally didn't think I was going to be, be at one anytime soon, but the fact that I got to go to a World Series game, I could cross off my bucket list. It was so cool. Like, at, like the field just looked beautiful. All the new stuff, um, fireworks for everything. The crowd was really into it, even though it's just a bunch of rich, rich schmucks. Like, the guy behind yep. me um, couldn't stand him. He thought Granky was a rookie. He kept saying, um, I paid for a seat not to stand. Um, and then he just didn't really – you could tell he has never watched a baseball game before in his life, especially the Nats, by the way he was talking. And he didn't understand, like, what the series was. He thought this was game one and all this other stuff. It was just – he was driving me nuts. But it was really cool to be there. Um, I highly recommend it when tickets aren't costing an arm and a leg and also your <laughs> – first payment of a mortgage um unless you're out of meeting because he didn't have a mortgage but no it was it was cool and they also <laughs> had some like new in-game sounds like some siren that i really liked but no i mean they lost but i give the game an eight out of ten just because like i was at the world series game yeah for sure um i guess that's one thing that i wasn't going to go regardless just because i'm not like you said trying to spend an arm and a leg and half more than half of my rent on a, a world series ticket but that was kind of the unfortunate thing this being our first ever world series and whatnot um the ticket prices kind of outpriced the loyal fans or at least the fans you would like to see at a game so that because standing room only was going for 1.1k and up uh you got a majority of those uh rich fans who just wanted to sit the whole time and have no idea what baseball is they just want to uh brag that they're going but i mean yeah i got really lucky uh, yeah but uh, i well I, I will say like i mean thank god for the season ticket holders who are the loyal fans and like uh people like us who know season ticket holders so we have the hookup when when needed because uh, obviously we kept the game and the fandom alive, but it, yeah, I wasn't speaking of everyone, but unfortunate, but I mean, still a cool, cool experience. And you sent me the picture of the World Series trophy, and that just seemed like such a dream. Yeah, but, I, I completely forgot they had that out. Walking by that yeah. booth, what, by the way, was like my worst nightmare because there's so many people crammed right there, but they had the World Series trophy out, and then they're giving out like a commemorative world series ticket so it was just like a bunch going on in a small area and it was kind of overwhelming but yeah that's the second time to see the world series trophy in person hopefully i see it on the parade one day <laughs> yeah hopefully that soon. would be that would be good um but obviously we're here to talk the games the games did not go the way we wanted to uh I mean, this is actually worst-case scenario after best-case scenario, first two games, worst-case scenario, next three, and we find ourselves down 3-2, heading back to Houston. Um, I mean, I, I guess we'll just take it game by game because there was plenty of recurring themes and motifs throughout the three games at home that need to change if we want to keep this series going to a Game 7. 
but obviously not looking so good right now. Um, so we'll go to game three. Uh, we had a preview for this uh, game, but the audio is just not where we want it to be. And uh, unlike the Nats, we only give you our best. So um, that's why we didn't have an episode before game three. But we'll kind of recap game three now. Astros won four to one. You had Sanchez going up against Grinky. Um, Grinky kind of bent in some areas, but never broke. Uh, only went like four and two thirds, but still enough to get the job done. Sanchez wasn't the Sanchez that we had seen postseason, but out of your four starter, that's kind of what I expected out of him, to be honest. But I also didn't expect the bats to go that cold. Uh, what were your takeaways from game three? This game was so freaking frustrating because ever everyone knew that the Astros were going to arrive, and the Astros did. Like th- this is the Astros that all the media and the analytics analyst, analysts thought that they were going to see this entire series, right? And like this was so frustrating because this was such a winnable game. The Nats had a runner in scoring position every single inning, and they went over ten mm. with runners in scoring position. Literally, yeah, eleven get, hits. Yeah, get two hits, and like. That's it. Granky was so hittable. Like yeah. the Nats, the Nats were hitting him, but they just couldn't freaking do anything with it, and it was so frustrating because the second runner of scoring position, their at bats were horrible. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, because Grinky was good, but he didn't have his A stuff, which we've seen obviously in the past, and he still can dial up when he needs it. He he was just a good pitcher, but. The Astros gave them the run support, and the Nats couldn't take advantage of the plenty of opportunities they had, like you said, a runner in scoring position every single inning. So, I mean, 4-1, I mean, obviously, coming out of the game, you're just like, oh, we need to take more advantage of the opportunities that were given. 4-1, to one, we still kept it close. We just, obviously, the offense needs to show up. If you hold the Astros to four runs, like, that's more than often than not a win. So, after game three, I was still pretty optimistic. But then there was game four. And mm. it was kind of the same. Um, you had Patrick Corbin, who all I want in the world is for him to, like, not necessarily even redeem himself, because I really don't think he he had a phenomenal season, and it's been a rocky postseason, but I wouldn't say he's anywhere close to being a bust compared to his contract. But I just want him, more than anything else, short of a World Series, to have that defining moment to show everyone that he's like an ace and not just this like fourth starter who's been like rotating in a utility role out of the bullpen and whatnot. We didn't get that. It was a hot start for the Astros, two in the first, two in the fourth. And I mean, two in the first is all they needed. We only scored one run, four hits, uh, just absolutely brutal. The obviously Bregman dagger um, grand slam that did not feel good, even though, I, like like I said, two runs in the first was all the Astros needed. But aside from the offensive woes, because we already kind of touched that on that a little bit, let's talk about Davey because this is the game where Davey, in my my opinion, since the Dodgers game two, so game two of the NLDS, which seems like forever ago at this point, this was the first game where I really thought that he had a glaring mismanagement. And it came in that seventh inning. And, I mean, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. The use of Fernando Rodney um, was absolutely mind-boggling. Didn't make any sense. Uh, 
I mean, I'm sure you can put it into better words than I can. So take us through that seventh inning in your mind, Ryan. So that was a winnable game. And Davey's whole thing is go 1-0. Go 1-0. So if your entire mantra is go 1-0, you have to do what it takes to win every single game. And this was the most, like, furiated. I don't know. Just, I was so mad at this decision because it made zero sense. Yes, Corbin didn't really have his best stuff, but when you're down 4-1 to one going into the seventh inning, that's still a very winnable game, especially when you already lit up their bullpen in game two. Um, and it's just like going to Tanner Rainey, I was like, all right, you know, I would have gone to him there, but it's whatever. And bad Tanner Rainey showed up. Davey did a good thing. He, he took Tanner Rainey out after two batters because it was very clear Rainey did not have it. But he went to the 42-year-old for the second straight day. All the metrics show that when Fernando Rodney has to pitch two days in a row, it doesn't go well. On the second day, his ERA is over 13. Um, in high-leverage situations, opponents have an OPS over one against them. So this is as high-leverage situation as it gets. Let's go to the 42-year-old win, Sean Doolittle. Daniel Hudson haven't pitched since Tuesday, and it's Saturday. They're more than rested. They can each do a double switch. You can get two innings out of one. No, he goes for Naylor Rodney. The other reason why this doesn't make sense is because the day before, Davey walk, intentionally walked Michael Brantley, so they, uh, Rodney did not have to face him. Yeah, I was going to bring up this point. He faces him today, but... This move was so bad, and it was so obvious that it was going to go poorly that the second Davey started walking out to the mound, the entire Fox broadcast team was baffled by this. You came back from commercial, they were still talking about how they don't understand this move. Why would you go to Fernando Rodney here? Jeff Passon tweeted as soon as it happened, why is he going to Fernando Rodney here in a game that you have to win? This doesn't make sense. Um, basically, every reporter tweeted it. Everyone watching the game tweeted it. People, the rich people in the stands who've never watched a game before in their lives did not understand why he was going to Fernando Rodney in this moment. <laughs> and in the most predictable thing ever, he throws right, I mean, it was inner half, way too much plate. Now Alex Bregman just absolutely unleashes on it. He should have walked him. That would have been better than that. That was the most obvious move. I mean, the most obvious thing in my life, everyone knew how that was going to end. And like, it was old Davy. It was a Davy in the regular season that everyone bitterly complained mm -hmm. about because he constantly went to Rodney and he did the same thing. And yeah, there was reports about like, he knew Max wasn't well. That doesn't matter. If your whole thing is go one and oh, you have to win this game. Another thing that really, really ticked me off about this was after the game when Davy was like, you don't go chasing wins. That's, yeah. It's the World <laughs> Series. What do you mean? Yeah, if there's ever time to chase oh a win, God. let me tell you, bub. <laughs> oh, my God. Look at every World, uh, World Series. Series game at home with the, the World Series lead or, uh, oh yeah, God. with yeah. you're up two games to one at that point. Yeah, that's probably a good time to chase a win. I mean, Madison Bumgarner pitched four innings in relief after throwing a complete game. Um, Chris Sale came out of the bullpen. Um, Andrew Miller pitched four times in the World Series. Rollins Chapman pitched five times in the World Series. I can keep going. The point is, you chase wins in the World Series. Every mm -hmm. single day in the Game 7, you have to do what it takes to win. 
and that move just I I I don't even have words for it and like it was the wrong move at the time. I bashed on Twitter. I've been saying this forever. He should never pitch in a high leverage situation. In the backfire in his face. It was right. I'm done. It was it was awful. Yeah. Um a couple points there. Uh, with the Rodney thing, uh I can completely like see people's points that it was a good pitch. But it was a good pitch to the wrong hitter. I mean, Alex Bregman was due. You knew he would get hot eventually. And his power comes from pulling the baseball. Uh, I mean, we've seen him in the home run derby twice. And all of his home runs, uh, he didn't make it past the first round either time. Uh, Embrace debate, is he really that good? Um, But all of his home runs were to the pull side. And like if you look at his spray chart of home runs, they're all to the pull side. So throwing him an inner half changeup is literally the worst thing you could do, regardless of whether it's a good pitch or not. Good pitch, wrong hitter. Now with the chasing wins thing, my point is, and you've touched on this a lot, so I'm just going to like send it home, is that if you knew that there was a, even a chance, and by all reports, it sounded like they knew that in all likelihood Max was not going to start but let's let's simplify it or let's dumb it down. If you knew there was even a chance that Max wasn't going to start game uh, game five, why not chase a win game four? Like if you can get a win game four, come back and get the win, go up three to one. Then worst case scenario, you mm-hmm. lose game five, which you're going to do anyways. And now instead of being down three two, you're up three two. And you only have to win one in Houston. But now we have to win both because it was so poorly managed in game four that now you fast forward to game five. Garrett Cole's not going to suck twice against the same team in the yeah, same you, series. You knew he was going at least seven. And, yeah, and, and Garrett Cole against Joe Ross is like the most lopsided World Series matchup in probably history. Like I, I'm willing to bet. Based on the ERAs, the seasons, the careers, whatever, Garrett Cole versus Joe Ross is the most lopsided, like starting pitching matchup in World Series history. So you knew that you weren't gonna win Game Five in all likelihood. So why not chase a win in Game Four? It completely changed the outcome, or the at least the outcome of the next game, maybe two in the in the series because it was so poorly mismanaged. And I understand Rainey didn't help you out by not having his stuff. And it was a, sh- a, a crap situation um, to bring a reliever in with two guys on, but Rodney of all people, worst case Yelling? scenario. Uh, oh, I'll just say worst case scenario. You, you throw Hudson there. Uh, if you still want to walk Brantley, that's fine. Worst case scenario, you walk or you pitch Hudson he gives up a hit or whatever, and then once the game kind of, once the Astros blow the door open, you take Hudson out before his pitch out gets up because there's no point in pitching Hudson when you're down seven one eight one. But at least give your team a chance. Yeah, I mean, it, I was even taking Suero in that spot over Fernando Rodney. Like, right, going to a forty two year old in that situation for the second straight day made no sense. But the other infuriating thing was that was the game they had to win. Mm-hmm. It was. Patrick Corbin, your six-year, $150 million man versus a rookie reliever, making his first start in a very, very long time. That was the game they had to win. And all they did was just chase fastballs out of the zone and pop it up. 
on the first pitch the entire time. And then they finally, hey, you know, Davey, if you do this, you know they're going to have to keep throwing their A bullpen for the second straight game in a row because they threw their A bullpen the game before. The chances were there to win it. And the second they put them in, I'm pretty sure like the win probability for the Nats just tanked before, even before <laughs> the Grand Slam because, I mean, I, I'm just, I don't have words for it. Like, we both talked about this. Everyone knew it was the wrong move. He still did it. If you knew, like you were saying, if you knew Max is hurt, you know for a fact you're not beating Garrett Cole a second time. Like, Garrett Cole is not going to let that happen to you. And, yeah, he had a little help from the umpires, but he embarrassed most of the Nationals hitter, the entire, hitters the entire night. And now you go back to Houston after they just took all three at home. You just got to go up against, uh, I mean, future Hall of Famer Justin Verlander. If you win that one because you have Strauss, you have to win another one. And now you're in an almost impossible situation because you threw away game four. Yep. This is not the regular season where you can kind of just where, – or where you have to space out your relievers and worry about rest and, and whatnot. This is the World Series. And maybe you can throw the benefit of the doubt saying, oh, I mean, this is his first postseason. I mean, he was a new manager when he came to the Nats, but I'm not one to do that. I mean, especially because of the fact throughout the Dodgers series minus game two, throughout the Cardinals series and throughout the first, let's call it three games of the World Series. Davey had a great management of all games. He had great control. Great decision making. He knew when to pull the plug. He knew what guys to uh, to play. Like starting Cabrera over Kendrick might might have sounded like insane to some people, but it worked. Like Cabrera is having mm-hmm. a great postseason, one of the few bright spots on offense, and Kendrick is not. And that's a tough decision to make, especially the grand slam Howie hit to send us to the NLCS, the NLCS MVP performance that he put up, and then you bench him. Well, it worked. So clearly, Davey has the capability of making the right decisions, but he screwed up game four so badly that I'm afraid that it. It's it's too much. It, it's too far gone. And obviously, it, it ain't over, but it's set us in such a bad position. So let's move on to game five. It, I guess, didn't get worse. I mean, we had one run on four hits in game four. We had run, one run on four hits in game five. We gave up eight runs on 13 hits in game four, seven runs on 10 hits in game five. So I guess an improvement. Um. But Joe Joe Ross, listen, I, I, I do like Joe Ross. I, I hope he has a good career. I don't know if it'll be with the Nats, but I hope he has a good career. This was an unfair situation because he was left off both the NLDS and the NLCS roster, and then he was just brought back, and he hasn't pitched in like a month, and now he's starting Game 5, the biggest game in Nationals history to this point against the arguably the best pitcher in baseball on Garrett Cole and the best team since like 1930. No pressure. Um, but obviously Garrett or uh, excuse me, Joe Ross did about what you expected. I mean, he pitched fine. He doesn't really have an out pitch. So his strikeouts uh, were down, but he pitched well to contact. It's just those few that he missed uh, location-wise, which Joe Ross is known to do, were hit hard, and they were hit far. 
uh, Jordan Alvarez got the party started, and uh, Carlos Correa uh, obviously kept it going. So we haven't talked about it yet, and I'm not going to, uh, I guess, blame it on them, but they certainly do have an effect and impact on the game in the series. So let's talk about the umpires because Mm -hmm. this game five was unfortunately probably one of the best umpire umpiring performances we're going to see in the world series. Uh, Like he had the highest, uh, I followed the umpire auditor on Twitter. It's very fascinating, Um, but he had the best percentage of correct calls. Um, His calls favoring the Nats and Astros are about even. It was actually favoring that the Nats by one, but the calls favoring the Astros were so monumental that it's impossible not to talk about. I mean, Today's the off day, the travel day, and we're still talking about them. Two in particular, uh, I guess, I mean, the rainy strikeout is can be included because it clearly was a strike. But two in particular, there was a call on Carlos Correa uh, in the fourth inning, or wait, excuse me, yeah, the fourth inning, that would have struck him out. It was a slider, low and away. He called it outside. It was not outside. So that takes from an 0-2 count to a 1-2 count. Two pitches later, Correa hits the home run. Obviously, two-run deficit, not so bad. Four-run deficit, yeah, you're kind of panicking. And then the other one, everyone's obviously talking about, uh, I don't know if it was for two runners or bases loader or whatever it was, um, to Victor Robles. Full count against Garrett Cole. At the end of his night, he was at like 108 pitches. uh, A two-seamer, like three, four inches off the plate. But it had tailed back because Garrett Cole's a righty, so it tailed back to the outside corner. Gets the call on one of the worst calls you'll see all series. And obviously, that was really one of the only chances we had to score all night. Huge, huge factor. I mean, there's not much you can do about it, but we're going to talk about it. Ryan, I mean, how bad are the umpires screwing with the Nats? It's... So, like, I also follow the umpire auditor, and, like, you talk about the Carlos Correa thing. He's out of that inning, and it's still a 2 nothing ball game, and Joe Ross goes five innings to give up two runs. But because of that, right. they're down 4-0. It's a completely different ball game. And I don't like complaining about the umpires because mm-hmm. 99.99% of the time, the calls go both ways. Everyone always complains when their pitcher doesn't get that corner, but... Everyone loves it when that corner that should be a strike is called a ball for their hitter. It's always consistent. Yep. But last night, that strike three call on Robles was 3.27 inches outside the zone. It wasn't even close. And, like, it was never over the plate. Like, it wasn't like it was a slider that was strike, 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 and then just went a lot. And the umpire was like, oh, you know, that crossed the zone a lot, strike. It was never over the plate. It wasn't even close. And this is the umpire that already didn't give Joe Ross a strike three call because, I'm sorry, it was Rainey. He didn't give Rainey Rainey. a strike three call because he didn't like that. um, Jan Gomes stood up. Jan Gomes stood up. It was that Bush League umpire thing where, like, the umpire doesn't like the catchers ready to throw it around the horn on a strikeout before he gives the call. So to punish the catcher, he didn't make the call in the freaking World Series. Yeah, like, dude. Are you kidding me? Get over yourself. You already have one of the easiest jobs in the world because you don't have to talk to the media. You're never held accountable for anything, and you make mm-hmm. good money. Get the hell over yourself, dude. No one is there to watch you. 
but your calls single-handedly change the entire game. And again, I'm never one to claim about umpires. I hate when people claim about umpires, but I'm full force team. We need we need an electronic strike zone because these calls should not be happening in the World Series. And the day after a team is one win away from the World Series, the biggest story is the umpires. That shouldn't be happening. I shouldn't go to like uh, pardon the interruption and they're talking about the the the, stri uh, the strike zone. Yahoo, one of the biggest stories was talking about the strike zone. That shouldn't be the story when a team goes up three to two in the World mm -hmm. Series, the biggest stage. These umpires need to pull their heads out of their asses. It's not about them. It will never be about them. No one cares about you. And the <laughs> fact that you got 45,000 casual fans to chant ump you suck at a baseball game. Which, and a Nats way, game in particular. Yeah, which I have never heard in all my, like, I mean, say all my years. I'm 24 <laughs> years old. Um, heard anyone yell ump, chant, ump you suck. You're in hockey all the time. But the entire state it's different for baseball, yeah. Especially for a Nats game. If you've been to a Nats game, you know <laughs> the fact that you can do anything in unison without missing a beat is insane. And in a World Series game on the biggest stage, we stepped up to the plate and you like <laughs> did a successful ump. You suck. It just it's really one of those things that brings a tear to your eye. <laughs> you got the fan base that will give a standing O to every single pitcher, even if he goes out, doesn't get a single out, gives up 13 runs. You pissed them off that much that they, in unison, chanted, ump, you suck. Congratulations, you're now a household name. You're And uh, I saw people expose your address online also, which is too, which is too far. Too far, but... But, but. <laughs> not to say he doesn't deserve it. I mean... <laughs> but... <laughs> Your life sucks. Official statement too far. <laughs> um, and the the electronic strike zone and stuff is something we can dive into the off season when we do some of our episodes. But it's something where it's an electronic strike zone, but you still have it a home plate umpire um, for challenges and obviously plays at the plate. That's kind of should be a happy medium, I guess, because I'm pretty sure in the uh, the independent league that they're trying it in, there isn't a home plate umpire, which I don't understand how that works. But well, there. I thought there is, but he like wears a headpiece and tells him ball or strike, but the umpire can still be like, mm, I thought that was a strike and still call uh, it a strike. So maybe that's a happy medium too. Yeah. Um, I know. I, I, I saw this clip of a guy, it was like the first ever strikeout and he like looked at the light. If the light like flashed red, it was a strike and he struck out that way. And it was really, <laughs> it was really funny to watch. Um, but regardless, I mean, that's not. Like I'm on your side, Like I'm not going to sit here and blame the loss on the umpires because the bats still didn't show up. Exactly. I mean, if Joe Ross goes five, gives up two, that's great. But I mean, newsflash, we didn't score more than two. We didn't even score two. So it wouldn't have mattered, but it's just so egregious. The mistakes that they have made that it's impossible not to talk about. Um, so it sucks. I hope it improves. Uh, I hope that the MLB is just pushing for seven games. So in game six, we really get calls favoring the Nats, but it was just so egregious that, I mean, like I said, we have to talk about it. Another thing that's egregious that we have to talk about is basically everyone besides Soto. Um, just down the line, uh, probably the one that's hurting us most is Trey. Uh, hitting 136 with a 344 OPS. Uh, that is not good, Bob. Um, uh, I mean, Eaton's surprisingly having a fine 
postseason. I, he was it's kind of like front heavy. He was hot those first two games, really padded his stats and hasn't done much the, the next three. But three sixteen in the World Series, I'll take it. Rendon, I mean, we're about to file a missing persons report, only hitting two hundred. Kendrick, like I said, two hundred. Them two hundred. Uh, Robles sub two hundred. Gomes two fifty. I'll take that from Gomes. Cabrera is the only other bright spot. Like I mentioned, uh, 357, 829 OPS. Um, I mean, yes, it's good pitching, but we shouldn't go five scoreless against a no-name reliever on the Astros bullpen day. You shouldn't be one for 19 with runners in scoring position, and your only hit is because it hit the pitcher in the league. If it doesn't hit that, it's a double play. Like, that should not happen in the World Series. That is unacceptable. It's, uh, yeah, it's bad. I mean, I don't, if you had told anyone, anyone that in these three games and that score three runs, like they would tell you you're high or you're just trolling. Like no one, absolutely no one imagined this would be a reality. Um, especially through the first two games, game three and the game four, no one thought that it was just going to be a game in each or a run in each game. It was comp- the Astros flipped the script and credit to them, but my God, did the Nats look terrible? It's it just like you, if these were the first three games of the World Series, that would have been more like realistic. But after the first two games of the World Series and then coming to this, it, it just doesn't make any sense. And obviously, the, the solution's simple. Like Anthony Rendon said, you see this bat? Usually you use that to hit the ball, so you should probably do more of that. Yeah, like, and Anthony Rodeau right now is the king of that uppercut swing, head up in the sky, both hands on the bat still, as the ball is going 100 feet in the air, only going five feet. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, no, Trey, Trey had the nine-pitch AB to start the game. I was like, oh, my God, he finally saw more than two pitches. Things are going great. It, all, every other bat after that, I'm pretty sure he just swung at the second pitch. And then I'm Rendon, so, Rendon yeah. followed his uh, his favorite player's uh, his mindset and started swinging at the first pitch. Yeah, I mean it's just as a leadoff guy, it's so infuriating watching him do his lunge, swing at the fastball out of the out of the zone, hit up the middle, and ground out. It's so infuriating. Work a freaking count. Get on right. anyway. As Davey said when they showed the dugout. In his first at in Trey's first at bat, take the damn walk, Trey. Stop chasing pitches. At least Adam Eaton's been walking in once while. He's still been pretty bad lately. Rendon, Rendon's MIA. No idea what he's been doing besides popping the ball up in the first two pitches. Soto, King, Howie Kendrick. I mean, I feel like he's just overmatched at this point by the pitching. Mm-hmm. Zimmerman, yeah, exactly. Zimmerman, his. I can't remember what anyone it was, but they actually were threatening against Cole. And then Zem swung at two pitches that probably combined 13 <laughs> was, feet out of the zone. Yeah, it was a dirty knuckle curve, but it was never even close to being a strike. <laughs> like, the yeah. movement was insane, but it was never a threat to be a strike. And he, he's had one of the worst swings uh, ever. Um, oh, man, I don't even remember what I was going to say. Yeah, it, it, It's been bad. Uh, oh, with Trey. Yeah, the way he's playing right now is – the way we saw Trey, like when we made the playoffs, I don't know if he was on the team in 2016, but in 2017 when Trey was leading off the games and he just had such, such 
bad at bats. They were so bad. And it, we just attributed it to him being young, his first taste of the postseason. First taste of being the leadoff guy, really, because, I mean, when he first came up, he wasn't really leading off. And then they kind of figured out that he was better batting second. I don't know why they since haven't gone back to that, because Eaton one and Trey two was like a formula for success, and they completely abandoned it after Eaton's injury. So I don't know why they're not doing that. But, yeah, Trey looks like the Trey of old. He looks terrible. Uh, I mean, even if you didn't have him from batting leadoff, I don't know. <laughs> like what case for optimism is because it's his approach. It, it's not even like he needs to be a leadoff guy. It's just his straight up approach. He's swinging at everything. So, uh, I mean, hopefully he, he gets it turned around, but yeah. obviously regardless of the umpires, regardless of the Astros bats, regardless of Davies decisions, we can't win if we don't score more than one run. It's just not going to happen. So they get, they got to mix it up. Yeah, I I would think going into Game Six, do or die, season on the line, uh, that they mix it up, especially going back to Houston. But uh, let's get into it. So Game Six, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say it right now. If you had told me at any point during the season, before, during, uh, any month, even when we were 19 to 31 even when Max went on his stretch. If our season was on the line, we had one game, must win. Who do you want on the mound? My answer is Steven Strasburg every single time, uh, especially in the playoffs. I mean, there's been an insane amount of talk on his postseason stats. Uh, let, let me just give you a couple. So he's started, he's pitched in five games, his one non-start being the wildcard game, obviously. Four games started, four wins, four quality starts, 28 innings pitched, 25 hits, six earned runs, two walks, 40 strikeouts. That's a 1-9-3 ERA. In his postseason career, he is only behind Mariano Rivera and I believe Sandy Koufax. Pretty freaking good company to be in. I mean, Steven Strasburg is one of the best postseason pitchers of all time. That is not an exaggeration. So if there is anyone I would want on the mound in an elimination game, in a do-or-die game, it's Steven Strasburg. So as bad of a situation we're in, it's also as good of a situation we could be in considering the situation with Strasburg coming off full rest, ready to go in the biggest game of his life. Um, but obviously, Ryan, as we've talked about, it doesn't matter. It doesn't just matter who you have on the mound. Uh, there's plenty more that go into it. So what are your kind of expectations from game six? I'm hoping 2017 game four against the Cubs, Steven Strasburg shows up. I feel like he will. Um, I'm expecting Strauss. I'm expecting Strauss to pitch very well. Um, having to beat Verlander for a second time with the chance for Verlander to get a ring, for him to finally get his first World Series win ever is going to be tough because Verlander is going to be lights out. And I'm expecting this to be a great pitcher's duel, um, but they're going to have to do what they did in Game 2 and jump on him early before he settles in. Because like we saw last night, when Cole settled in, it was done. 
the Nats had zero shot because Cole settled in. And the second Verlando settles in, it's going to be done. The, they're going to be finished. So you got to jump on him early and got to pray that Strasburg's changeup is on. Got, got to pray that he yep. has his changeup. Because if he does, then he's going to pitch wonderfully. And no one's going to be able to touch him. But if he doesn't, then we're going to be in for a fun game. Yep. Um, Strasburg arguably has the best changeup in all of baseball. Not an exaggeration either. But it, I, obviously, like Ryan, you said, it has to be on. And it was not on in the first game we saw against the Astros. But our offense supported Strasburg enough to a point where he got the win, obviously. And Strasburg still had a quality start despite not having his A-plus stuff, believe it or not, because he's that freaking good. Um, so, yeah, the key for Strasburg is that changeup because the Astros don't swing and miss a lot, and they swing and miss even less on pitches outside of the zone. The changeup of Strasburg's, all of Strasburg's pitches looks like a strike the longest while it can dip outside of the zone. So that's going to be the pitch that induces the most swing and misses, the most ground balls, the most weak contact. So that has to be key for Strasburg. Um, but on the flip side, like you mentioned, Justin Verlander, while Strasburg has one of the best postseason ERAs of all time, uh, Justin Verlander is arguably the worst World Series pitcher of all time. He is, I, I think he's 0-5 now in five World Series starts. Uh, his ERA is like above six. Uh, it, it couldn't be any worse for one of the best pitchers of our generation. It's insane to see, but with the World Se- with a chance to win the World Series at home, and to rewrite the narrative, uh, like we've seen a, a couple, yeah, a couple of guys have the op- have had the opportunities to rewrite their narratives. Some have, like Max. Some have not, like uh, Clayton Kershaw. Um, so this is a huge opportunity for Justin Verlander and Ryan, like you said, cement his legacy because, as great of a pitcher as we know he is, he does not have the hardware you would expect. Only one Cy Young. He does have an MVP, but it came in the same year as the Cy Young. I mean, the World Series ring helps, but, I mean, especially in the World Series, he wasn't a huge part in earning that. He, I mean, one could argue he hurt more than he helped. Um, so, and obviously, game two loss in this series, so not helping him whatsoever. He's hungry. He wants it. He wants to cement his legacy. So, it, it's going to be extremely tough. And... One thing we'll have to watch is Kurt Suzuki. I don't think he's going to play, but of all the players on our roster, Suzuki by far has the best numbers against Verlander. So that's a huge, uh, I guess it's not a downgrade from Suzuki to Gomes, but it's a downgrade in term of experience, especially against Verlander. Um, So that'll be something to watch. Second base will be something to watch. I assume it'll go Cabrera and then Howie DH. But it'll be different, uh, especially Strasburg pitching to Gomes as opposed to Suzuki, like in game two. So that'll be tough, but let's play the, the fun hypothetical game, Ryan. Let's say we win game six. Don't worry about the details. Don't worry about if Hudson or, and or Doolittle pitched. Don't worry about, I mean, let's say you don't have Strasburg. Let's say he goes for 150 pitches complete game and you have everyone for game seven. We win game seven, or excuse me, win game six. 
just touch on what your plan would be for game seven. I mean, are you going Sanchez? Every single person, if this goes game seven, if you're a pitcher on the team not named Fernando Rodney, you're available to pitch. I would even <laughs> have Steven Strasburg available for an out or two. Does not matter. Mm-hmm. It's game seven of the freaking World Series. You have six and a half months to rest your arm in the offseason. Everyone is available. I don't think that Max Scherzer is going to pitch again this year based on how much pain he was talking yep. about as someone who has had a lot of back uh, spasms and back issues because I didn't go to physical therapy when I herniated my disc. It sucks. And it is very hard to even move. So I don't think he pitches again. I throw the entire freaking kitchen sink at them. I throw Sanchez until he gets in trouble. Go Corbin. Go Doolittle. Go Hudson. Even go Strauss. Everyone needs to be available. Except for Fernando Rodney. Uh, take the night off, buddy. Go play golf or something. <laughs> um, yeah. Agreed. Uh like being a pitcher myself, obviously not nowhere close to this scale, obviously, but having starts where I've thrown a lot of pitches, your arm actually feels pretty okay. The next day, it's the second day after where it really hurts and it, it it's really sore. And obviously Strasburg and all of our pitchers are taking care of themselves to get their arm in the best shape and get back out and available as soon as possible. So yeah, if you need an inning. You absolutely need an inning. Like, let's say we have a lead, for God's sakes. Strasburg needs to be ready. Um, but I agree. Everyone has to be ready. Unfortunately, it does not look like Max is going to be ready. I mean, there's the tweets going around about how bad his injury must have been for him not to pitch the game in Game 5. We all know Max is impossible to take uh, the ball from. So the fact that he was willingly uh, giving it up before the game even started... It just goes to show how bad of shape he's in. So I agree. I don't think he's going to pitch at all the rest of the World Series. Maybe he makes a miraculous Kirk Gibson-type-esque return in Game 7. The bloody sock. Amazing. <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, the crooked neck game for uh, Max Scherzer. <laughs> um, that would be great. But I don't know. On, on the Astro side, I assume they go Granky and they have Cole available to pitch because Cole will be on two days rest at that point. One, two, yeah, two days rest at that point. So a better shape than Strasburg would be, obviously. So you would probably see some of Cole. And honestly, you could probably see a lot of Cole because, like Ryan, you said, he has all, all off-season rest in Game 7. You need everything out there. My man's is going to get him a $300 million paycheck by coming in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, I would say... On the surface, advantage Astros Game 7, especially being at home. But if we can knock off Game 6 and get some momentum back in our our midst and have the Astros panicking about losing every single game at home, maybe we can flip the script on them. And maybe like Strasburg said, we are the the buzzsaw that teams run into. So there's a chance. I mean, uh, John Walton said, like, look at the Caps run in – in 2018, the uh, championship series, they won the first two against Tampa, lost the next three, and then they won the next two, and obviously we all know how that year ended. So there is a chance. It's okay to believe. Uh, it's okay to believe, baby. 
uh, we're going to be optimistic until we're not. Uh, but I mean, two games left. Hopefully, hopefully two games. And you left. got your ace um, on the mound in uh, game six. Yep. And uh, people eager to prove themselves in Game 7 with Sanchez and Corbin and uh, who else. Um, but we'll see. It, it, it'll be something to see. Uh, game 6 obviously should be treated like a Game 7. It's an elimination game. But it's going to be, like I think, the game in the World Series because no game has really been close. I mean, you could argue Game 2, but the Nats completely blew it open in the 7th that – it just didn't feel that close, like, looking back on it. But, I mean, I guess game one. Game one was pretty close, but it was just such a shock that we got to Cole. So you you haven't felt that close game uh, through and through, and I think this is it. I could see, like, a three-to-two ball game, and we can only hope that the Nats are on the, the winning side of that. But I think that about does it. I mean, we'll obviously have another show uh, probably when the World Series concludes. Hopefully it's a celebratory show, but Ryan, any final thoughts for our listeners? No, stay in the fight. It's okay to believe. Yep. That's all we can say. Uh, I mean, we obviously love analyzing, but for those of you listening, just stop analyzing for a second and just, just watch and just root for your team. That's all I can say. Only advice I can give. And uh, let's hope we can uh, finish the fight and win this thing. But I think that about does it for us. So from Ryan and myself, appreciate listening. Uh, be sure to follow us at DC Natchak. You can follow Amanda, who will be back our next episode whenever that reports. Probably next week, but we'll see. Um, you can follow her at AWhite7877. Follow the show at Half Street High Heat. And uh, appreciate listening and see you later. Vamos pa' la playa, pa' curarte el alma Cierra la pantalla, abre la medalla Todo en el Caribe, viendo tu cintura Tú le coquetea, tú eres un cabullo Me gusta, lento y contento Cala al viento Lento y contento Cala al viento Aprovecha que el sol está caliente y vamos a disfrutar el ambiente. Vamos a meternos para el agua para que viaje que rico se siente. Y vamos a tropical por toda la costa chinchorreal. De chinchorro a chinchorro paramos a darnos una medalla. Bien fría para bajar la sequía. Un poco de bombardí y unos tragos de sangría. Pa que te Vamos pa' la playa, pa' curarte el alma Cierra la pantalla, abre la medalla Todo en el Caribe, viendo tu cintura Tú le coqueteas, tú eres un cabulla Vamos pa' la playa
meterle violento Te puse reggaeton pa' que me baga ese cuerpo Métele hasta abajo, está duro ese movimiento El único testigo que tenemos aquí es el viento Y dale, métele cintura, mátame con tu hermosura Mira cómo me frontea porque sabe que está dura Calma mi vida con calma que nada se falta Si estamos juntitos andando Calma mi vida con calma que nada se falta Vamos pa' la playa, pa' curarte el alma Cierra la pantalla, abre la medalla Todo en el Caribe, viendo tu cintura Tú le coqueteas, tú eres un cabulla Vamos pa' la playa, pa' curarte el alma Cierra la pantalla, abre la medalla Todo en el Caribe, viendo tu cintura Tú le coqueteas Lanzai, Pedro Capó, Georgie Noriega, Red 808, Shadow Towers, Puerto Rico. Welcome to the paradise. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.